Hello, everyone, and welcome to the trustee table. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Shirley Davis. Dr. Davis is the former Global Head of Diversity, Inclusion, and Workplace Strategies for the Society for Human Resource Management. She has also been a featured expert on NBC's The Today Show, USA Today, National Public Radio, The Wall Street Journal, Essence Magazine, Black Enterprise Magazine, The Washington Post, and Inclusion Magazine. Dr. Davis is an experienced HR and diversity and inclusion thought leader, a senior executive, a certified leadership coach, and a former chief diversity and inclusion officer for several major Fortune 100 companies. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for taking a seat at the table today. Good morning, Anne-Marie. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I'm just grateful that you could take time out of your busy schedule and start our 2020 season with your amazing insights. And so, you know, my first question for you is that many people talk about the importance of diversity in different contexts, but I'd be curious to hear how you define diversity, particularly for independent school boards. Yeah, and actually, you know, diversity is a very important topic. It's a priority for organizations all over the world. People are recognizing that we have to be more, uh, I think we have to value more, we have to be more open to the fact that the world is changing, the demographics are changing. And when you think about diversity, particularly for independent school boards, but also within the U.S., because it's different when you go outside of the U.S., is that we look at it as all the ways that we're different and the unique characteristics and traits that we bring to the table things that we're born with, but also things that we do, things that we're interested in, hobbies, uh, our backgrounds, our experiences. So it can be our values, our belief systems, and yes, race, ethnicity, our color, our age, our you know, personal belief systems, our you know, faith. All of those things are part of how we define what diversity is. So in essence, diversity is about all of us. And it really includes every person. I know we tend to look at diversity sort of around just race and gender, particularly in the U.S., but it's much bigger and much broader about, you know, about how we are different, but yet how we're similar. And then when you go outside of the U.S., yes, diversity means different things in different countries and different cultures, but for the most part, it's all the ways that we're unique and different in the characteristics and traits that we share. Okay, that's, I really like the way that you sort of brought in or expanded that, that definition of diversity to include so many more aspects than just like you said, race and gender, which is where I think most people think about diversity. So in, in the 2018 NAIS governance study that we, we did last year, both heads and board chairs indicated that they were not satisfied with the level of diversity on their boards. So what are some ways that heads and trustees can recruit diverse members? And I'm so glad that, one, you've done the survey to recognize that there really is an opportunity, a really um, great opportunity for more diversity to be on boards. And I'm working with a number of organizations. I serve on five other boards as well. And that is an issue that all of them are dealing with as well. But there's a couple of things. That One is, is first recognizing and being aware of the reality that it is necessary to be a much more visibly diverse board simply because it allows us to put our money where our mouth is and to really walk the talk, and that is to be as representative as the constituents that we serve, as the you know communities that we serve, and in where we may do business. So that's a, an important piece of it. 
Some other things, too, is that we got to recognize that we have to set the example and be the role models. And so being a champion as a board member is a very key and critical piece of that as well, too. And so if we recognize that it's important, our goal and role as board members should be to then be that mouthpiece and to be that model of what diversity means and the commitment to it, but also to start to be the conduit in which you bring in other people who are from diverse backgrounds and diver- and have diverse perspectives and who look differently uh, and who come from different aspects of life that will bring a very different lens and a very different perspective to help us think bigger, broader, more strategically, and to be able to be more relatable to all of those that we serve. That's another piece of it. And then I think, um, you know, another way, too, where we can um, really have some better recruitment is to broaden our net and not to always go to the same places and integrate and engage with the same people who look like us, think like us, you know, live in our communities. I I tend to find that a lot of times um, our board members tend to really be isolated and they have a small circle of people that they associate with and in their network is now a lot of people who look different from them. And I would really challenge board members, you know, to really look at how can they expand their own network as well and and be more visibly committed to and invested in bringing in a much more diverse leader that can be a part of the board as well. So it starts with that and then ultimately set some goals. Set some measurable goals and set some targets and make it a priority, make it a part of the, the board's strategic plan that you're going to be more intentional about getting more diversity. I really love how you highlight the importance that diversity is everyone's responsibility on the board. Yes, absolutely. And and, and for me, um, you know, it, diversity is just the start, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm one I'm not a person that feels like we should have one way of of getting more diversity, but I'm also big on let's get the diversity and then let's also focus on an inclusion, an inclusion strategy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. not just enough to have a diverse board, but how do we ensure that even those who are on the board who may be from underrepresented groups or minority groups, how do we ensure that they feel valued and feel a sense of belonging and connection and that they feel heard and that they feel like they can contribute? Because I've seen that happen too. Uh, particularly me, I'm a woman and a woman of color, and I've been invited on to boards to add a new perspective and because they didn't have as much diversity, but there have been times where I've felt alone, I felt mm-hmm. isolated, I felt excluded, I felt overlooked, and I felt undervalued. So the other part of our role as board members is to be welcoming and to walk and live a sense of inclusion as well as embrace and value diversity. Mm, and that's a such a critical point. And actually, it's the perfect segue into my next question, which is this idea of, you know, what are some best practices around onboarding diverse trustees um, so that so that we do have that sense of inclusion? Yeah, so and that's a very important part of it is that as board members, then we should make sure that we're holding each other accountable to walking the the you know the, walking the talk of inclusion as well. So making sure that we're being intentional about um, bridging that gap 
that might exist of people who come onto the board who don't look like everyone else, don't think like everyone else, so that they don't feel excluded and feel like they're the only one. I mean, there's nothing worse um, than the feeling of being asked to come on to a board and then feeling like you were only asked simply because of your race or your gender or your unique characteristic of diversity. Mm-hmm. You really want to be utilized for your expertise and for, you know, the value and the perspectives that you can bring. So that's an important piece. I think it's also critical for boards to think about then a formal onboarding process, not to just bring people on and let them have a trial by fire and they're trying to figure things out. They don't even understand the acronyms that are used. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know the people and they haven't had a real good understanding and a foundation in which to build on. And so having a real formalized process, having a peer coach, one of the mm-hmm. board members making a commitment to at least be there for support and provide coaching and helping that new board member understand some of the ins and outs and some of the unspoken rules. And, and then I think it's also important, too, to allow someone that comes onto the board to identify where opportunities are that they can serve and, and you know, mm-hmm. be their best self instead of allocating where you think they should be and putting them in a box is allowing them to tell you where they see themselves, you know, best fitting in and best serving and and where they feel like their talents and and skills lie. Because we can make sometimes that, um, you know, that big mistake of assuming that, you know, a person, you know, can can lead this simply because they're a woman. I've, I've seen that happen as well, too. So those are just some thoughts there of how to really make sure that we can acclimate and onboard and, and help people feel that sense of connection when they come on. I think what you're saying, though, is is also that this process takes much longer, perhaps, than just the traditional, like, you know, one day, you know, here we are, you know, here's, here's the bylaws, here's the, the school mission and vision and the handbook, um, these are your folks, and, and good luck to you. But, like, the, the onboarding process is, is much more... Um, of a time commitment because what you're talking about is really empowering new trustees into finding their role and their voice on the board. It is. It is. And it does take time. It may be over several meetings because I know not all boards meet consistently and they don't Mm -hmm. all meet frequently. So, you know, I'm on several boards and, you know, I'm on several committees as well. But I remember going on to a board even recently, like last year, Mm -hmm. and I was I appreciated having someone assigned to me as my peer coach and I could ask questions. It's like, okay, I'm looking Mm -hmm. over these documents, you know, in preparation for the meeting. You know, what does this mean? And give me a little bit more context about these financial and tell me a little bit more about why that particular initiative didn't work. So that I am, as a a board member, not asking some questions that can derail the time commitment of getting, you know, the meeting uh, agenda items through. I don't want to um, to belabor the point, but if I have a peer coach that can help me understand some of those things, even if, like now I go to meetings and I have a peer coach and I'll at a break or something say, okay, now what was that all about? I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like I, I was missing something. And I don't have to stop the meeting to do that. So that's what helps me to be successful is that I feel like I can, um, you know, talk to someone and get context, but I can still continue to contribute as well, too. Right. And that's really key. And, and you bring up that, that idea of understanding the, the context, um, which I think gets into this idea of how you seeing diversity impacting board culture. Because earlier, you know, when you were talking about how we can define diversity through all of these different lenses, including diversity of thought, I would imagine that that would also bring up some potential for 
conflict, right? So what might be some effective ways for heads and board chairs to manage conflict that might arise? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important first to create a safe space mm-hmm. where, and I, I call it a safe-to-speak culture within the board, mm-hmm. where, you know, you set ground rules, you set boundaries and establish guardrails. And I know in one of my board meetings, what I love that we do is every single meeting we open up with our code of ethics and what mm-hmm. we live by. And there are our values. We read our mission statement. We read our, our um vision statement, and we read our specific values. And every single member around the room has to go around and, you know, we just take turns reading it until all the values are covered. And it's just a visual uh, of us speaking out what we believe and remember to live by that. And I think that's important. But setting some of those meeting guidelines as well, too, is that we're going to share the airtime. Every idea is welcome. There's no stupid idea, you know, and making sure that we um, understand that people will have very different opinions. And it's not always about agreement, but it's accepting that, you know, everyone has an idea and a perspective and sees it in a different way. So let's let everything be heard. And I think whoever is the chairman of the board or whoever is leading that particular meeting um, should really make sure that uh, all of those guardrails and all of the values are adhered to, or at least a parliamentarian has that responsibility. But in addition to that, then there's a role that each of us plays as board members, and that is that we are holding each other accountable to say, you know what, you know, let's make sure that when someone is talking that, you know, she's not cut off. Or, you know, when conflict starts to arise, sometimes you'll just have to say, guys, this sounds like it's something that needs to be taken offline, and, you know, we'll we'll leave it to you guys to work that out. Um, let's talk it out a little bit, but there definitely needs to be some leadership in how you do it. Now, if there's ever times where, you know, you get to a place where it's just turned into something that's disrespectful and insensitive and you, it starts to be insulting and offensive, that's a whole other issue that mm-hmm. definitely needs to be dealt with by, you know, the the, the board chair. But uh, And I don't see a lot of that happening, and maybe I'm on the right kind of boards, but um, that's a way to derail the success of any board is to allow those factions and cliques and those conflicts to, to go on and on. But I think it's a part of your, your board charter is that when there is a conflict, you will commit that you will take it up with each other mm-hmm. and you'll resolve it before the next meeting. That's a, you know, kind of a guardrail that we use. Make sure you take it up with the, with the source and make sure that it is worked out before the next meeting, right? So, And hopefully it can be worked out over the next couple of days. We do three-day board meetings, and so hopefully the goal is work it out overnight, right? Don't let the right. sun go down on your raft. Figure, figure it out and fix it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are all really, really important recommendations. If anything, I, I think – what I see in, in our independent school boards is, is sometimes what we call this culture of niceness. Like people are actually unwilling or afraid to really confront some issues that might create conflict because, you know, they, they don't want to because um, they get, you know, they get nervous or they get scared or, or whatever. And I think that, you know, like you said, having guardrails in place, but also having a culture that embraces those diverse ideas and and allowing, like you said, space for for people to share. So that's the that's the catalyst right there, and Marie is that it has to be about the culture that's been set within the board. And if it's a safe to speak culture, then more and more people are willing to share opinions that might not be popular or may be contrary to the to the um, 
the majority. Mm-hmm. But that's that's what diversity of thought is. That's the power of bringing diverse perspectives to the table and to l- look at things and see things differently and recognize that just because we don't see eye to eye doesn't mean that one is right and the other one is wrong. It just means that we both see the world differently and there's something for me to learn from you and there's something for you to learn from me. So mm-hmm. let's have it as a mutual beneficial opportunity to learn and make it a teachable moment. When you approach it that way, it really does, uh, it minimizes conflict. And you know what, let's not avoid it. Uh, avoiding conflict is really not managing it at all. And all conflict is not bad. Conflict is actually a great opportunity to learn where we differ and to see if there's something that I didn't see before. Right, right. And that's so key for for our independent schools as we're kind of looking toward you know, this new decade and a a shifting landscape that has a whole different set of parameters around, you know, finance and technology and, you know, being able to have those generative conversations um, and really embracing those diverse perspectives is going to be key. For our last question, because I know that this is an issue for many of our boards, and we're talking earlier about this idea that diversity is everyone's responsibility on the board. What's your advice for boards who are looking to engage in a head of school search process this year, having diverse candidates, and like you said, having boards and heads that reflect the school community is really important. Do you have any advice for for boards who might be looking to look for a new head of school? Yeah, and I would say that um, you, you want to Use your network, which I think is important, but if your network is limited, don't limit your search to just that, is that you want to be out in the community and you want to broaden and expand your net of where you're looking for. And then, two, you want to try as much as you can to um, reach out into other districts that they may be looking for. So it might be in, in one area, but maybe there are other districts as well. And, you know, there's still the power of social media, getting that word out there in a much broader way and allowing people to know that the search is going on allows it to then get into a much larger population of great talent that you might not have been able to tap into by limiting it to a small area. So that's really much of my advice is to leverage your network, leverage your contacts, broaden your net and where you go, and don't, you know, don't excuse uh, and overlook the power of getting it out there in the community and on social media because that's where a lot of people are. The other thing I would say, too, is in the search, be more intentional about looking for as much diverse talent as you can. And if you don't have a lot of, you know, representation in a particular area, hire what you don't have. That's important. Visible diversity is still very critical in, in and it's very much a priority, um, is that representation does still matter because optics matter, visibility matters, perception matters, and your brand matters. People will look at that. And so as a board, your search should be intentional about, hey, what don't we have? Not only might it be gender or race or color or ethnicity or age or whatever, but what else don't we have relative to skills and competencies and talents and strengths? So you want to always try to find something that you don't have so that it helps to make the the ultimate board makeup and the demographics uh, much more broader as well, too. And it allows you to have a greater level of um, input and perspective that ultimately comes up with better outcomes. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis. Uh, Your time today has been invaluable. And I know that the insights that you shared with us today are going to be so helpful to our members. 
Oh, I hope so, too, and I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, if you haven't heard it, it's in my voice. I'm very passionate about, you know, not only just diversity and inclusion, but more so I'm passionate about, you know, how do we make sure that we have the best talent, and that talent comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, cultures, belief systems, identities, all of that. And so I hope that's what your audience gets is that we need to make sure that we're valuing everyone and creating opportunities in a level playing field where everyone can thrive. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.